Hi, this is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the Maharat at Ohev Shalom, the National Synagogue in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. And this week we read Parashat Bo, which contains the last three of the 10 plagues. And I wanted specifically today to look at the penultimate plague of Choshech, the ninth plague, and consider it in greater detail and try to understand it and exactly the role that it plays in the context of the rest of the plagues. Now, the reason I wanted to look at this is because if you follow the previous plagues and the last plague of the killing of the firstborn of Makapechoro, you see that a pattern emerges. And this is something that a lot of people have spoken about and something that we addressed a little bit last week. But basically, what the first eight plagues accomplish is the progression of the deconstruction of Egyptian society. Now, specifically, let's look at the couple previous plagues beforehand. Barad, this hail with fire, comes down. And as the text tells us, it destroys a lot of the vegetation. Right. So, of course, we can imagine big balls of like ice and fire raining down. Of course, it's going to destroy a lot of the vegetation. And already animals have been killed by Dever, by the plague of the the, uh, cattle disease. And now hail is raining down and destroying a lot of the plants. And then comes along Arbe, the eighth plague. And significantly, the Torah tells us that the Arbe, the locusts, which we know can wreak utter crop devastation in just minutes, comes along and destroys whatever plants weren't destroyed by the barad, by the hail. And so now Egypt is has been stripped of all of its vegetation. It's so far we've lost the we've lost the animals, we've lost trees, and now we've lost just everything. Any sign of life other than the Egyptians themselves and the Israelites is gone. And this is what causes Paro's own Avadzim, his own courtiers, to turn to him and this they say, Can you please stop this already? Because, and then they say, Don't you know that Egypt is lost? All right. They say, our, Paro, our civilization is done. We are done. Not us as people, but us as Mitzrayim. We have been you know, destroyed. Like we have no future. We have no ability to build a future here. Your animals are done. Your crops are gone. Your people have been weakened. It's time to call it off. And so again, if that's the ending of the eighth plague, then I wanted to consider, why don't we just stop there? We still have two more. We have Choshech and then we have Makapechorot. Now, first to address Makapechorot, as a lot of scholars point out, Makapechorot really, the the killing of the firstborn, in some ways can be considered a plague unto itself. We really seem the plagues come out in three sets of three, and then Makapechorot afterwards, the killing of the firstborn. Now, the killing of the firstborn is significant because Egyptian society greatly valued, like many societies, the firstborn. Right? The firstborn child is the future heir of the family. They're the child that's going to carry on the dynasty of the family. Everything is in that firstborn. And so when you kill off the firstborn, what you really are doing is cementing the message that there is no future of Egypt. Whatever hope you may have still had after our bed destroys the vegetation, maybe you still think, well, we at least we still have our people. There's a possibility of rebuilding. Nope. Makapecharot sends the message. Your family is done. Your future is done. You might still be alive, but any hope in the future is gone. 
And that is really, in some ways, much scarier than you yourself dying, right? Then all the Egyptians dying themselves is to know that they don't have a future. And if anyone here maybe has been binge watching Bridgerton as of late, we see a similar theme there. The worst thing we can do is not to have any children, is the children in the context of building a future of the family, not as existing as independent beings, but as building the future of the family. The most painful thing that we can have is to know that that has been destroyed. Okay. But that still leaves us with this ninth plague of Choshech. Why do we have Choshech? So let's look at the verses first that describe when Choshech comes. So God says to Moshe, stretch out your arm over the sky. And then, that there will be darkness upon the land of Egypt, a darkness that can be touched. So Moshe then stretches out his arm and this choshech uh, afila, this thick darkness, this palpable, tangible darkness descends upon Egypt. And it has this effect of people, lo ra'u ish et achiv. People could not see one another. And the lo kamu ish mitachtav shoshet yamim. And people, it's sort of strange to translate. I'll just do the JPS. For three days, no one could get up from where he was. So when we talk about darkness, we often think about not being able to see. But it's clear here that this is much more than not being able to see. This is a kind of a thickness that descends upon the Egyptians that takes away their ability to see, but also their ability to move. They are paralyzed in place for three days in total and complete darkness. So I wanted to consider a couple of different explanations for what this plague is doing here. So the first explanation that some offer is that part of what the plagues accomplished is the breakdown of the hierarchy of the Egyptian gods, the gods of the Nile, the gods of nature, etc. And the sun god, Ra, was considered the most powerful god. And so it makes sense that the plagues culminate in the defeat of Ra, of the sun god, of the god that would offer any light by having the opposite definition of light, of complete darkness, darkness that you can't even move, come in. The second explanation, the, one, the first one that I want to offer specifically today, is a psychological explanation. And I was thinking about what would it feel like to be trapped in this palpable darkness, unable to move? And it reminded me of a phenomenon that we see now uh, that people do, is that they go to what's called a sensory deprivation tank. And I've never been to one, but from my reading about it, it's basically like a small tank um, that it's sort of like people describe it as being akin to a, a sun tanning bed, not that I've ever been to one of those either, but that you go into it and there's absolutely no light whatsoever. Now they also have salt water so that the person can float. And the idea is that, as the title of it says, you deprive your body, you deprive your brain of all senses. You don't feel any anything physically because you're floating. You can't see anything because they remove, they're able to, to encase you in a way in which there's all light has been removed. And there's no auditory stimulation either. And so people actually use this. Some of this, some of us might think that sounds like the worst thing I've ever heard of. But if it's something that you want to do, 
What people say is that it can have this um, positive experience and it's a way of relaxing, that time kind of stops. We're so overprogrammed, we're, we have so much sensory information coming into our brains and this is a way of pausing all of that and just giving a person time to float and to relax and to just be. Now that actually sounds like kind of a good thing at the end of the day and like something that would be good for your mental health. But then I was thinking, what if you're stuck in there, but you didn't choose to go in? And not only that, what if you're living in the middle of constant chaos and terror, and then suddenly you become trapped in a sensory-less environment? All you have left is yourself and your own thoughts and your fear. Now let's consider for a moment the experience of the average Egyptian until the plague of darkness. The first eight plagues seem to happen fairly quickly one after another. They're living through physical terror. They're living through psychological terror with little to no relief. They're physically broken. They're emotionally broken. They must kind of be sort of shells of themselves because we know that when people live through ongoing terror and fear and pain, they start to become a little numb, right? They become a little robotic. You, you sort of dissociate from yourself in order just to be able to physically survive. And then they get this weird with this choshech, this weird three-day break from that. In fact, it becomes the opposite. They're stuck with themselves and their thoughts for three days, unable to move. And we have to think about, well, what would the psychological effects of that be? And I wanna all suggest that maybe it was an opportunity to begin to process everything that they had gone through. All that sensory stimulation, the out external sources of fear and stress and distraction are gone. But now they haven't chosen to go into this relaxing space. They're trapped in it. And all they have for three days is the ability to think. And I would have to think that this is not something that's therapeutic, but rather something that would worsen the trauma. Because sometimes, as we know, the trauma really gets worse once the physical source of the pain and the violence and the fear ceases. And you have time to process and time to think. And I would have to think that they were able to sort of sit and stew in their own horror of how bad things had become. Of what Paro's own servants know that Avdam meets Rhyme. The Egyptians know this already. And now they have no choice but to sit with it with no comfort, no distractions, no comfort of being with their family. They're just each completely alone with themselves and their thoughts. And there's one more interesting point about this also. So the, the text, as we said, it says that each person, lo kamu ish mitachtav shloshet yamin. No person could get up from where he was, as the JPS said, for three days. And so what's interesting is that a lot of the rabbis, they say that he, what that actually means, ish mi tachtav, is ish mi beito. A person could not get up from the place where they live, from their home, for three days. Now, why is that important? Well, let's think about Egyptian society. What did they have? They have material wealth, because we'll see soon that the Israelites are going to take it from them, gold and silver, etc. They had cattle. Well, that's been destroyed. They had crops and plants. Okay, that's been taken away. They had the Nile that was at least temporarily suspended. 
But what's one thing that's never been touched? They're buildings. We all know, I've never been to ancient Egypt, I'd love to one day, that their buildings were very strong. It's something that they valued enormously and it's something that withstood time. So we would think if you're gonna be taking, deconstructing Egyptian society, wouldn't you wanna destroy those buildings? Wouldn't that make sense? It's so much of the glory of Egypt. Why not destroy those temples, destroy those homes, everything, to have it all be gone? And not only is it interesting that they weren't destroyed through the plagues, but also these homes actually served as a source of refuge from the plagues. The people, the, you escaped Barad, or you maybe I should say differently, you were only a victim of Barad if you were out in the Sadeh, out in the field. The homes, these were protective, these were shelter. So in fact, the Egyptians probably related to their homes in a very positive way. That's the one thing that has served as a place of refuge, has actually been able to protect them. And so now they're trapped in those homes. Now, is that a source of comfort? I would suggest no. I actually think it's a very powerful message of the opposite. And that's where we get to the third explanation of the plague of darkness and the further undoing of Egyptian society. God's killed their animals. God's ruined all of their crops. There's no more growth. The Egyptian gods have been soundly defeated. The one thing they have left are their buildings and their stuff, their material accomplishments. And now Choshech says to them, yeah, these buildings that you're so proud of, they're not your refuge. They're actually your prison. You thought that they were your pride and your accomplishments and your safe havens, but uh-uh, no way. You are now actually trapped in your own homes, unable to move and unable to live. And this is quite symbolic actually, really, because I think it's sending the message that you Egyptians, your cultural values of construction, the one you use the Israelites for slave labor for, They've actually brought upon, your, brought upon your downfall. Your misplaced societal values are what brought this all upon you in the first place. The Egyptians with Choshech have literally become trapped in a hell of their own making. And for three days, they can do nothing but sit frozen or maybe lie down frozen in them, contemplating the nightmare of their current existence and the fear of knowing that the end, not of your life, because they don't die, but of your society, of everything you've worked to build for yourself is imminent. Much has been destroyed and the worst, that final blow of Makapecha wrote is yet to come. So I really think that with this analysis, Choshech, this mysterious plague of freezing in time, rather than racing around to dodge constant sources of terror and fear and death and violence, sends us this really strong message that the Egyptians, they valued the wrong things. They valued structures, material accomplishments, things that you can see, things you can see with your eyes, things you can admire. But here the Torah is telling us that is meaningless. A culture that values that, that values building, but not human life is actually going to be meaningless, but not just meaningless, will actually meet its own destruction. And those buildings, those things that you use slaves to build, that you put invested so much in, they won't be destroyed. They will actually instead become your prison. And that is what will survive even when your own civilization doesn't. But of 
course, as we know from everything that Judaism stands for, buildings are never worth the cost of human life. We don't care about buildings. We care about our people surviving and we find ways to survive wherever we go. Egyptians here is the opposite. Their buildings have survived, but they did not. And so as Choshech reminds us, that is actually a terrible way. It is the wrong way. It's antithetical to the way that societies should view themselves. We should focus on life and literal physical animation and growth and not just buildings, because that is what will bring about upon our downfall. Shabbat Shalom.